Hello, and welcome to the 2016 Presidential Elections Podcast with Dr. Gary Rose. This podcast is brought to you by ShoeSquare, Sacred Heart University's virtual teaching and learning commons. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Election 2016. We finally made it this far. It's 19 days until Election Day, and we had the final presidential debate last night in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. It was a contentious, tense uh, discussion. I think everyone will agree with me on that. Uh, You know, both candidates really came out ready to, to pin something on the other candidate and try and get their points across and really try and land some punches in these last few weeks before the election. A lot of controversy in what they asked. I think we can definitely say they addressed a lot of really hot-button issues uh, with their questions. So we're going to break into some of those things today, as well as some of the implications of this debate going forward. Dr. Rose. Yeah, I thought Chris Wallace, actually, of the three debates, Bridget, I thought Chris Wallace did the best job. Mm -hmm. I really did. Uh, You know, I I was reflecting last night. I was was watching him uh, compared uh, to Lester Holt. Martha Raddatz and Anderson Cooper, I really felt that uh, Wallace was the most fair and balanced, as they say, for Fox News, but really he was. He asked hard questions of both candidates, and I did not detect one ounce of bias in any of his views, unlike some uh, the two previous debates, quite frankly. I thought there was a little bit of a slant to some of them, Mm -hmm. uh, to some of the questions. But yeah, we, we had a fascinating debate last night. I haven't seen the final figures on what the, uh, the, the audience was, the, uh, the television audience, but of course, um, I'm sure that it has been going somewhat you know, down, obviously, progressively since the first debate, but I'm sure that the audience was still quite significant. Um, so the debates are over, and now it really is uh, just a push to the home stretch. It was, I thought, a very good debate. And I thought that the candidates um, were quite substantive, both of them. I thought that uh, there was uh, a a refreshing amount of policy that was discussed last night, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to the real personal um, um, venom that that we've seen, although there was an element of that, of course. I guess you can't get away from that this, this in any debate this year. But nevertheless, um, I thought it was a little more... um, upscale, you know, a little more professional, a little more substantive. There was something that emerged uh, at the, uh, during the debate, <laughs> excuse me, um, that I think is um, really a relevant thing that we need to talk about today. And that's what's everybody, what everyone has been talking about this morning in the news. And that was the final question when Donald Trump said that he, uh, he wasn't sure he was going to accept the outcome of the election. Now, uh, in the last debate, I can't remember if it was, the, it was the second or the first, but nevertheless, he said that he would accept the outcome of the election, as Hillary uh, also made that uh, statement. But last night, Trump said, uh, you know, we'll see. He said to him, he told uh, Chris Wallace that I'll keep you in suspense. That is a little bit of a troubling uh, statement to hear um, a candidate of, of one of the two major parties the nominee of one of the two major parties say that he will not necessarily accept the end result of of an election. That's something that we do in this country. And to date, unless my history is wrong here, uh, I believe every single presidential candidate throughout time 
who has lost the uh, the election has maybe reluctantly but nevertheless uh, congratulated the winner and accepted the results even president nixon in 1960 you know there were a lot of shenanigans that took place out in california and in texas and almost every election uh, analyst and and scholar will tell you that there was a fraud in chicago as a result of the um, the cook county uh, democratic machine and also there was fraud in uh, in texas where of course uh, lyndon johnson was from and nevertheless uh, rather than demand a recount rather than call into question the legitimacy of the election president and, and many were asking nixon to really do that nixon said no it's not good for the country you know to mm-hmm to state that you don't accept the results and let's just move on. And so I, I do wonder if Donald Trump, um, and things do not look very good for him today as we speak, although I'm not suggesting the election is over, but nevertheless we do know and you know that the polls don't look all that favorable for him right now. But um, if he loses, I am hope that he is gracious enough and statesmanlike enough to accept the results. I think it's really interesting is of course you look at the reaction today and, you know, Kellyanne Conway, his campaign manager, has come out and said, of course we'll respect the result of the election. And his VP, Mike Pence, has come out and said, of course we will respect the will of the American people. You know, will that satisfy anyone? If push comes to shove, if November 9th things do not go in Donald Trump's favor, will it be enough if his vice president says, all right, this is it, and Donald Trump is like... Still saying no, 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 it's the top of the ticket that matters. His voice is what really people are going to be focusing on. And Ivanka also had said that she would accept the results, too, and that we should. But but no, it has to come from Trump himself. In the end, he has to uh, concede the election. He has to congratulate Hillary. Should he lose? Should he lose now? Uh, and also, uh, I think, in the interest of the country, make a statement that, look, this election is now behind us. It's time to move on. Yeah. Rather than, you know just really uh, continuing to, uh, to question and uh, assault the, uh, the candidate. It's, it's, you have to move on after an election. It's not good for the country to relitigate an election time and time again. Do you think an investigation will be enough to satisfy those concerns? Or, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you, I mean, Clinton has such, such a, a fear around her and such a terrible reputation, really. Like, how do you satisfy these voters yeah, that know. this is said and done, especially within yeah. three months till January? That's a great question. It really is. And because the electorate is so deeply polarized now and there's so much animosity towards you know the, the two candidates, I do question, even if Trump does um, act as he should if he loses this election and accept the results, many of his supporters will not. And we are going to uh, witness, without a doubt, um, whoever becomes president, next 45th president of the United States, is going to have to contend with a whole range of issues, but the one paramount issue is a divided country. And, uh, and there will be people who will continue to question the results of this election. You're going to hear accusations of fraud and there'll be all these witnesses who will make statements. And then, you know, what I've heard the other day is Trump says that he's going to actually have uh, a poll 
observers yeah. stationed around He's the country. Yeah. To recruit supporters. Which to also is sort of unusual, you know, to have people that are observing others. And you have to wonder if in fact that isn't a ploy to already delegitimize the election because, you know, many of these people might come back and say, Oh yeah, we saw this fraud, we saw this going on and yeah. you know, maybe you're putting people on edge. They're putting people on edge. They really are. And so I I I uh, after November 9th, I hope there's that we start the healing process. But I hear what you're saying. It, it does have to come from Trump if he loses, but at the same time, you're still going to have over 50 million people who are not going to accept these results, and that's going to be a very um, troubling component of our of our polity in the in the years ahead, the days ahead. Do you think this will reanimate a movement to abolish the electoral college? Wow! Holy cow! No, I, I don't think it's going to necessarily be the Electoral College that, that's perceived as the problem. You know, I think you're going to hear that things have gone on, whether they actually will or not, you know, right in the polling places and, mm -hmm. and whether or not ballots have been stuffed. And, you know, I think you're also going to find, and I know I have some evidence here, which I can understand why there's going to be a lot of animus towards, towards this, but you're going to have a lot of people saying that the media structured the outcome of this election. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Donald Trump has been saying. Mm -hmm. You know, when he says that the election is rigged, he's not always, or not necessarily talking about, you know, down at the precinct level where you have poll, you know, people working the yeah. polls, stuffing ballots. Direct he, he, election. Yeah, that's uh, real direct fraud, yeah, yeah. What he's getting at really is, um, is that the media has rigged the election. And you know, there's one side of me that really understands where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. And let me just uh, call something up here that I think our, uh, our listeners will find interesting. And this was on uh, the, uh, the Fox channel the other night, and I uh, was stunned when I saw it. And it's actually gotten a lot of press, too. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we had, the, we had the video recordings of Donald Trump on the... Uh, on, on the bus there with Billy Bush, you know, the, the vile and misogynist uh, statements that he was making that really were quite troubling, of course. And then at the same, the same day that, though, that the video co recordings were released, we also had the WikiLeaks released uh, about Hillary's yeah. uh, emails and her it's speeches. Yeah, sure, her speeches before Wall Street executives and, and also some other uh, statements. And then, of course, we had simultaneously a number of emails released from John Podesta, mm -hmm. you know, which were also troubling. And, and there was a whole range of uh, emails that came through on that very day, and there's still many, many more coming. But nevertheless, listen to these figures here. Um, here is um, here's a, here's a, uh, a study that was done on, the, uh, on, on an evening, on a typical evening, on ABC News, NBC News, and CBS News about both scandals that hit that hit the media at the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay? So here, on, on one night, the Trump story, the, uh, the statements he made on the video recordings received nine minutes of coverage. The WikiLeaks story, which I think is also very, very troubling about Hillary Clinton's and in many duplicitous ways is, behavior. is more pertinent to direct policy. Maybe even more pertinent in, in terms of governance. Yeah. 37 seconds on, mm -hmm. on ABC News. NBC News. Uh, the Trump recordings on, on one night, 7 minutes and 40 seconds. WikiLeaks stories, none. 
wow. no coverage at all. Mm -hmm. And then over on CBS the same evening, five minutes on Trump's sleazy recordings, 31 seconds on the WikiLeaks emails regarding Hillary. Mm -hmm. So when you hear Donald Trump say the election is rigged and he often claims it's the media that's rigging it, what do those figures suggest to you? It is interesting to see, and of course, I think my question here, is this a bias against conservatism, against Republicans, or against Donald Trump? Because as we've spoken about before, Donald Trump isn't, isn't, is hardly your dyed-in-the-wool Republican or a conservative. He's really not. Trump is really a singularity into himself. Yeah. Is this anti-Trump? Is this anti-conservatives? Does it make a difference down the line? I think it's both. I do. I think it's both. Uh, look, I, I've been watching the media for a long time, and I know you've often heard um, you know, that there is a liberal bias mm -hmm. to, to the media in this country. In fact, that's why Fox Station was actually created in order to balance some of that out. Uh -huh. And I, there is. Look, I mean, the studies have been done of journalists and also, um, you know, many who work in the media. And there is clearly a, a many are Democrats and many do have certainly, if you will, progressive views on issues. Okay. And I think that it really is a, a combination of, uh, of both Trump and a, a, a bias against Trump as well as a bias against really, in general, uh, people who are conservative in this country. They, uh, they are treated by the media with a lot of um, disrespect and disdain, and I've seen it over the years. And you know, you can even go back, now you, look, you know as well as I, and uh, you were coming of age during Obama. I have never seen, and I don't mind saying this, and I think there's every political scientist who's out there would agree with me, whether they're, most of whom, by the way, are Democrats. Uh, but let me tell you that Barack Obama got a free pass on the media. Uh, they really carried him in 2008 in a big, big way. Mm -hmm. And many of the transgressions that have occurred under the Obama presidency, too, have gone really unnoticed or have really been treated with kid gloves. And so, no, I, uh, you know, it took me a long, long time. And, you know, I've been in this business teaching for close to 40 years. And for many, many years, I said, no, this is just people talking that the media is biased. But I think I've just seen too much now mm -hmm. to feel, um, to feel that, that it isn't. And the figures I just cited to you, you know, so much on Trump's statements and almost nothing. In fact, there was one station, nothing yeah. on WikiLeaks. So what, is, what does that tell us? And I think, I think that I'm looking at this in two different ways. One is there have been a, like a record number of newspaper endorsements this election. And of course, you know, a couple magazines and newspapers have a tradition of doing this. They traditionally go for one party or the other. Yeah. But like Vogue, for example, just endorsed its first presidential candidate ever and they endorsed Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Um, what does that say to you? Is that something, is that a bias? Is that a gut reaction against Trump? Yeah. Or is this, yeah. is this just a new trend in politics and media now? No, I think that it's, a lot of it is just really an antipathy towards conservatism. But uh, you mentioned Vogue. I was unaware of that. But, you know, when Vogue comes out and does something, I think it really is more of an anti-Trump statement more than just conservatives, you know. But overall, collectively, um, News, print, the print press, um, and of course the major networks, uh, without a doubt, it's, it, it really is stacked up against Trump this year, and 
in many ways it was stacked up against Romney too. It really was. You know, when, when the press got a hold last uh, four years ago of, about Romney's 47% statement, mm. I mean, that got so much coverage, yeah. so much coverage. But, but did the press really cover Hillary's basket of deplorables to that extent? No. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. You know, and it's, in many ways it's the same thing. And so that's why, you know, I will say that um, to help balance that out, you do get a station like Fox, but that's also where AM radio comes in. And AM radio, as you know, is the province of conservative yes, talk show a lot people. Of those big and, and let's face it, that's really one of the, that has to be some type of, there has to be some type of check against what's going on. And um, I, I, for one, say that um, I think it's a good thing, at least, that, you, that there is a, uh, some type of reservoir of you know, resistance out there that's, that's in the media, and that's AM radio. Then, of course, you, you just mentioned that you think this is a really an anti-conservatism thing for most outlets. Then what, how do you react to newspaper outlets that have endorsed Gary Johnson? Because he, he's actually received a number of newspaper endorsements this year from outlets that have said, look, we can support Donald Trump, but well, we, we have to support a conservative voice. Yeah, if he really is conservative. I mean, come on. Gary Johnson is, yes, is libertarian, less government, but you know as well as I that on on social and moral issues and marijuana and all those things, Gary Johnson is hardly a conservative. He was the CEO of a marijuana edibles company, actually. <laughs> there you so go. no, uh, he's definitely not a social conservative. <laughs> yeah, so come on, I, I wouldn't put him in the traditional category there. Okay, so you yeah. s- you don't really see this as contradictory. I don't. I don't see it as a contradiction. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. No. Interesting. I didn't I want to clarify. That's that. all right. It's a good point, though. I mean, you would think a libertarian. Yeah, yeah you're right. You know less government and so forth, but libertarian. Philosophically, he's kind of on the conservative yeah, side. Yeah, philosophically. It's just the but, socially thing. But there's a different type of conservatism there, if you will, that, mm-hmm. uh, that some in the, in, in the print press like. It's not your traditional type of conservatism you know, that I'm talking about. Do, yeah. you, think this is, do you think this is part of the, the urban-rural divide that we're seeing a lot this election? You know, most major, major media outlets are, have to exist in cities now just because yeah, I know. it's very yeah. expensive to be a media company. Is that, yeah. is that playing into this? Of course it is. And, and you know, I, I, in, in my elections class, um, I think we talked about narrow casting mm-hmm. on the part of media. And they have to appeal to their audience. They know who their base is. You know, just as presidential candidates have a base, we know that, that the media have, have various outlets have bases also that they have to appeal to and in order to get their, their ratings and their revenue. And so um, they're, 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 they, are, they are reporting what they know their listeners want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sad. It really is. There's, something has really gone down over the years. Look, you know, I remember Walter Cronkite, David Brinkley, Howard Mudd, you know, the great, the, 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 icons. Great, the great journalists yeah. of our day. Now, you know, you see people, journalists themselves are not just reporting, but they're like narrating. Slanting, yeah. Yeah, and that, that I find that, uh, I don't know what people are learning in some of these journalism schools, but something has changed, certainly. So, getting back to Donald Trump's statement that the election is rigged, no, it's not at the precinct level. It's not. It's not going to be stuffing ballots. The people watching the polls maybe aren't looking at the no, right thing. No, I think it's really the larger media slant and me, how the media has really, in many ways, uh, helped structure the outcome. Yeah. And of course, you just mentioned that the candidate, the candidates have their own bases that they're really working with right now, and I think we really saw that come out 
looking at the Supreme Court question that we saw in the debate yeah. last night. Uh, something that really flared up over the summer with the unfortunate death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Sure. We we haven't really heard much about it until last night's debate, and I thought it really I provided a stark contrast between both candidates and really looked at the two different sides of America that they appeal to. A, a great point. And, you know, Scalia, um, that his death really has left a, an enormous void there in the court, and it is true that whoever is president uh, filling that seat is going to be a real challenge, and, and whoever does fill that seat will obviously affect the uh, the outcome of Supreme Court rulings for a good portion of time, you know. Um, I mean, I'm hearing, you know, decades and decades, but no, but I think that certainly in the immediate future and then even the future generally is going to be affected by whoever is appointed to the court there. Um, yeah, now, last night, uh, we do know that Hillary is pretty much is, uh, is, is set on, on nominating to the court, somebody who's going to uphold uh, Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. and and will obviously uh, stake out, I would say, um, a generally liberal position on a whole range of uh, pressing constitutional issues. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, on the other hand, said he has uh, already compiled a list of 20 potential jurists, um, and all of them, almost all of them, I believe, are very states' rights oriented mm-hmm. and who believe that uh, the abortion issue should be returned to the states. So that issue alone, to underscore what you're suggesting right now, I think really does show the, the real stark contrast you know, between the, uh, the two candidates and between the two parties. States' rights versus really you know, um, a blanket national set of, of values, and I think that's, uh, that's huge. And it, it, it's going to show up in many different ways, too. You know, death penalty issues will be, again, um, front and center before the court. Affirmative action, you got abortion, you got gun rights, you got all of those issues coming. And so uh, whoever gets that, uh, that position is going to, I think, really have a, uh, and whoever does fill the position is going to impact um, the laws and, and the policies of this country on, on a whole range of hot-button issues. And I'm glad you bring up the Supreme Court because, you know, a lot of voters aren't really aware of the relationship between an election and the composition of the court. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're really raising a great point because uh, it is true that actually, you know, we talk about filling Scalia's vacancy. I mean, the next president is probably going to have maybe up to, like Chris Wallace even said last night, possibly three. Three or four three seats, seats. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Which is a little it's, morbid, I think, but yeah. yeah. It's not just one. Replacing almost half that's the right. court. I mean, you know, I mean, that's right. I mean, that's look, Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to, to step down sooner than later. She'll be gone during the next president's first term. What's that? You like, you like I, Ruth? I think Ruth is great. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, right. Uh, she was... Um, mentioned last night in the debate. Well, she came out with a statement on Donald Trump a while ago. Of course, she recanted saying that it was kind of unprofessional for a justice to weigh in. It was. It was wrong on her part. But I think the notorious RBG. Yeah. And and Kennedy is probably going to be stepping down fairly soon, you know. Uh, I don't know. Um, You know, I'm looking, I'm I'm thinking about the composition of the court. I don't know. I just wonder if Clarence Thomas, too, you know, is going to eventually be stepping down. Yeah. It's been there a long time now, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, there could be uh, three three vacancies within the first 
the first uh, year. Which uh, is really going to, could really irrevocably alter that's right. the ideology of the Supreme Court very for much a very so. long time. Very much so. It's always, it's always hard to uh, predict when a judge is going to step down, though. You know, I remember for many, many years I was predicting that Thurgood Marshall was going to step down. Mr. Civil Rights, yeah. you know, his seat is the one that Thomas has filled, and but Mr. Civil Rights stayed on till almost the very end. You know, you don't know, you don't know, but nevertheless, uh, I, I'm I'm willing to suggest at least that probably around three. Wow. About about three seats in the next four years, and that's yeah. really a legacy thing as well, because we've spoken about both Trump and Hillary, and there is a good chance that both both of these candidates could be a one-term presidency. Yeah, but yeah. the long-term effects of a Supreme Court justice—never mind oh, three—huge. It's, yeah. it's really even lifetime if, appointments. That's yeah. exactly. It's yeah. it's going to turn one of these one-off presidents or potentially one-off presidents into someone who could really alter our landscape, political right. landscape, for a very long time. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, judges, you know, they make decisions that affect so many facets of our lives. I mean, you might think they just deal with, you know, some of these hot-button issues, but, I mean, they deal with separation of powers, mm -hmm. you know, cases. They deal with issues of federalism. They deal with issues pertaining to families. They, they make major decisions involving uh, interstate commerce. Healthcare, uh, healthcare. Well, Obamacare was, yeah. was, was one. Thank you for reminding me of that, of course. I mean, there's no limit to really what they cover. This and, is one of the few bodies that can yeah, alter that's our right. the Constitution. That's right. Well, you, you know I published a book entitled yes. uh, uh, Shaping a Nation, mm -hmm. and so that's what they do. Yeah, sure. And this is thought I, I thought I'd get that in there. Plugging, plug the book. <laughs> Yeah, I think right. I have like a whole shelf dedicated. To yes, right, right, this. right. Uh, but and of course, like not, I hate it when people bring in you know Bill Clinton into this the conversation because of course he isn't running. But this is actually something people have noted on him that he did a number of like of local and district court placements while he was in office, and it was something that really created a legacy for him twenty years on. Yeah, well, you know that's another thing too. Um, we always talk about the president, you know, filling Supreme Court uh, vacancies. But, you know, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that uh, the president also fills uh, circuit court, um, you know, uh, vacancies. And we have, um, you know, about 12 of them out there. Actually, you know, you, you, if you count the federal circuit, it's 13. Yeah. Uh, there's a federal circuit called the 13th Circuit. And then, of course, you have 94, I believe it is, 94 federal district courts as well operating in among within uh, you know within the various states and again every one of them is a lifetime appointment yeah. every single one and so um you know bill clinton's legacy lives on in many different ways and um his judicial appointments you know he's he's got a couple on the supreme court himself with um Ginsburg and Breyer, mm -hmm. but also uh, circuit and also district court appointments. They're lifetime appointments, too. You know, collectively, when we talk about the federal judicial system, um, it, goes, it goes much deeper than just the, the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're all presidential, no, nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and they all serve for life. And That's actually, right. I think, one, there's about like 4,000 appointments that the president needs to make when they first take office yeah, and then yeah. also John McCain came forward earlier today and said we will not affirm nominees 
That, you yeah. know, not only for this, but potentially the next president, they said, we will, we are not afraid to continue holding up nominations. And yeah. they've done that with Obama as well. They have. The Senate has proven extremely reluctant to That's push right. through any Obama nominees. I'm wondering how long that, that vacancy is going to continue if the Republicans hold on to the Senate. I do wonder, you know, Merrick Garland was, he never got a hearing. No, he's just, he's yeah. kind of languishing. Yeah, and in fact, I don't even know what's going to become of his uh, nomination. Somebody was asking me the other day if, in fact, Hillary was bound by President Obama's nomination to Merrick Garland, and it's my understanding that she can either continue on with that or pick her own person. Mm -hmm. But regardless, um, if, in fact, the Republicans uh, control the Senate, which is a big question mark today, as yes. you well know, it's possible, it's God, I mean, I, I don't know if they would do this, but it's conceivable, the way that the polarization is today, that that seat will never be filled if, if in fact, Hillary is president. So, theoretically, if, like, worse comes to worse, we have those three people stepping down or those three vacancies. When we have, like, four people on the Supreme Court, <laughs> well, how, how few how, Supreme Court justices can we really function without? How, how low does it go? Yeah, well, how you know, low can this go, Dr. Rose? Well, well, well you know, we actually you go way back to the start of the Republic. We, we, we did. The court was five persons, you know, and then it grew to six, seven, eight, nine. It actually increased to... Uh, Ten under Lincoln. Most people don't know that for two years. I thought one of the Roosevelts made it thirteen. He, and, at one well, point. well, and then and then it was scaled back to nine, and then Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt. And by the way, we're running a field trip to Franklin Roosevelt's house uh, uh, the day after the election. Uh, he tried to pack the court. He tried to increase it from nine to fifteen, uh. which was an interesting uh, measure on his part, and that was because the uh, Supreme Court was giving him fits about the New Deal. And a good, a, a good number of his New Deal measures were actually being struck down during his first term of office. Mm -hmm. And he was really getting very scared that Social Security was going down next. And so he came up with that radical court packing plan, but the Congress uh, did not approve of it. And then eventually the, a couple of the justices came over onto Roosevelt's side, which kind of resolved the crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's sometimes referred to as the switch in time that saved nine because it was it's been suggested that had Justice Hughes and, and Roberts if they hadn't changed their views on these issues then maybe Roosevelt would have eventually expanded the court fifteen I don't know who knows who knows but either yeah. way we're gonna Supreme Court is is down to face a lot of alterations in the next four years yeah. and that's it's a, it's been kind of a, a closet issue on the campaign trail, at yeah. least the last few months, I think. Yeah, I'm glad it came out last night because uh, voters need to see the relationship between uh, between uh, this election and what, what's going to become of the Supreme Court. You know, this election has so much uh, impact on everything, mm -hmm. you know. It's going to impact the composition of Congress. It's going gonna, it's gonna to eventually impact the composition of the Supreme Court who occupies the White House, you know, all the appointments, as you mentioned, you know, in the White House itself, in the executive branch. An election, this election is just so monumental, like every other election. It's huge. Mm -hmm. you know, every presidential election really has bearing on the functioning of the three branches of government one way or another. Now, as far as the debate last night, um, just, just a little bit on the uh, perceptions of the voters here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that before we started, uh, you called up the CNN poll. Yep. So apparently uh, Trump once again had a good night, huh? Yeah. It seemed, I don't know if it's like a function of he's doing better or people just after the first debate, the bar was set really low. Because <laughs> um, 
because I think the bar was set very low after that first debate. But he did do a lot better this time around. Seems like our voters are pretty split, at least among the CNN poll, which is one of the first to come out post-debate. Yeah. So what, what do we have here? We have 547 registered voters that were surveyed immediately after the debate. Mm -hmm. uh, the CNN polls uh, found that 52% said that Hillary won the debate, and 39% said that Trump won. I thought Trump had a, actually a, a really good debate last night, mm -hmm. you know, compared to uh, certainly the first one, which was which was a disaster. Although he did pretty well in the first uh, one until uh, the last 20 minutes. Until the last one, yeah. <laughs> I know, he was strong at first. And the second debate, I thought he came on pretty well. Actually, I, I, I thought that that was a good debate, too, for him. Um, but, you know, 52 to 39, I mean, that really almost suggests like it was a landslide on behalf of Hillary here, but I didn't see it that way. I thought it was closer. Um, and then uh, what else did, do we have here? Um, I'd like to know who these voters were that were surveyed. 61% compared to 31% said that Hillary had a better understanding of the issues. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's true when you think about her responses they were pretty substantive it's also maybe perception too i think trump is seen you know trump has openly said he doesn't like to read on the campaign trail so yeah yeah it right. could just be a little bit of perception trump is seen a little more anti-intellectual yeah the cnn poll also found uh, this was very close that uh, 50 percent of um 50 percent of the viewers felt that hillary's uh, positions were more in line with their views compared to 47% with Trump. Mm -hmm. Now that's, that shows that really uh, a lot of debate watchers were, were divided between the two candidates. Do you think that's a partisan thing? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe the, uh, maybe the, rant, the sample here uh, does, you know, had some parity in it. But then um, we also had 59%. Now this one I think really does hurt Trump. And if viewers think, if if voters think like this when they <coughs> go to the polls on November eighth, then I think he's really in big trouble. And that is, uh, what do I see here? Fifty nine percent of the viewers felt that Hillary was more prepared to handle the issues facing the American presidency. Mm -hmm. Now that is a serious issue for Donald Trump, and only thirty five percent said that he is prepared to assume the position of the presidency. Interesting. Yeah, that one I think really is. Um, you think out of any of these, that's going to be the, the I factor? Th that could be the one. That could be I it. think that's it. Yeah, who is more prepared to step into the office? And if, in fact, as we see here, almost 60% of the people feel that it's Donald Trump, then, uh, I'm sorry, that it's Hillary Clinton and not Donald Trump, then um, I think that's the big that's the big one right there. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So anyway... Um, it's almost over. 19 yeah. more days, everybody. We're, we're in the home stretch, and I think everyone is relieved about that. So we're going to have a debate watch party on November 8th. Yeah, let me just tell you about that briefly. Uh, I have a student here at the university who uh, is doing an internship with Fox News. And um, as part of her internship, uh, she had to uh, put on a debate watch party during the first debate, which she did. And she told me that... Um, about 80 people, about 80 students showed up to that, which was great. And then she's going to uh, work with me on putting on a uh, debate watch party. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are working on getting the room reserved, so I won't announce that where it is yet. But this is going to be a huge, probably the biggest, uh, biggest election night party that I've ever been involved with here There's at the university. There's going to be a lot of strong feelings that it, night. There's going to be a lot of students come. It's going to be 
get this, if you're listening, <laughs> even those of you who are in uh, countries outside the U.S., unlimited eating. <laughs> the fox the fox station is go. is paying for trays of food. Excellent. Pizza, pasta, salad, all kinds of stuff. And um, we're going to have the big screen there. We're going to have a lot of fun. There's also a raffle. Mm. People can get some good stuff. That, again, Fox is helping out on this. Yeah. So I'm not here to advertise for Fox, but um, it is wonderful that... Um, you don't have to watch Fox News to eat no. the food they pay for, so just are, look at it that way. But they are helping out on this uh, on this um, election night party with uh, some, some support, which I, I really appreciate. Yeah. So uh, we're looking forward to the end of this. I, like, I assume many of you are out there in the audience. 19 days. We're almost there. We've made it through. Thanks for yep. tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.